and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a couple of fathoms across the Harpeth River from me, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, uh, considering that my offenses that I've coordinated so far this year have uh, still have not outscored um, Iowa in the uh, from the Penn State game, um, I I would say it's been a struggle. But you know, we're we're, we're trying to change the culture, so it's it, it's all good. But nonetheless, dude, it was an action-packed weekend. I'm excited to talk some football, uh, some some weird stuff happening in the SEC, but. Uh, we'll get to all of that later. I'm excited, man. Let's get it on. I know, Coach, especially about your dogs. They look good, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man whose favorite kind of wheel is the pinwheel. It's our intrepid <laughs> blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. A uh, quick shout-out to the boys just down the road here in Illinois going down to Maycomb, Illinois, Western Illinois, 3-0 on the young season. And last Saturday – took on Coastal Carolina in the FBS ranks and laid a whooping on them, 52-10. to 10. Oh, yeah. Don Western. Yeah, Coastal Carolina, uh, I think they might be rethinking that uh, bump up to FBS. <laughs> and uh, has it gone well so far? Yeah, they might have to go back down to FCS. Uh, well, they're a baseball school. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But... Anyhow, uh, we have a lot of action to get to today, but before we get to our quick slants, just a quick uh, picks recap for us. Um, we all went two and three on the weekend, so not our best week, um, but we all had uh, some interesting different picks. The only thing that we all got wrong was we both all got wrong, all three of us got wrong, the Wake Forest App State score and the Oklahoma Baylor score. Um, Wake Forest was a little bit closer than we expected, but they still eked out the win over App State, but did not cover that four and a half points. I think um, everyone probably got that Oklahoma Baylor score wrong. Yeah, we all got the Oklahoma Baylor score wrong. Um, Josh, Oklahoma forgot to bring their defense. Yeah, Josh, you and I nailed NC State. Uh, Josh and Coach. Uh, they had them win it out right. Yeah, uh, Josh and Coach rightfully picked Stanford. And uh, Coach and myself rightfully picked Michigan over Purdue. So... Um, uh, for the season, uh, coach, you're still in the lead at 14 and six against the spread. Uh, Josh, you're 12 and eight and I am way behind at nine and 11, but, uh, time to hit some quick slants here on our week. All four. right. Week four doesn't pick the games very well either. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> it's time for us to hit some quick slants. So, uh, Josh, you can come up to line first. Yeah, my first one is the Duke-Carolina game, uh, usually a great basketball game, but an intriguing football game last Saturday. Duke got the win, pushes them to 4-0. and They already have three wins over Power 5 conference teams. A bowl looks inevitable, but now the question is, with such a hot start, can they break through, have an 8-9, maybe even 10-win season? Can they have all the stars align and steal this division? Who knows? David Cutcliffe's team playing really well on the other side of the field. North Carolina drops to one and three. The hat man, Larry Fedora, his season is kind of on the brink already. Uh, projecting ahead, I'm not sure they're going to be favored in a game until November 9th at the earliest when they travel to Pitt. This is a team that made the conference title game a few years ago. You like to see sustained success. You like to build off those breakthrough seasons. And thus far, the Tar Heels haven't. Worst record last year, and currently things are falling apart. All right, Coach. Uh, I know you got a couple of SEC games for your first slant. 
Well, I want to start with the one in my own backyard. Uh, Vanderbilt thought they would thought they would call out Alabama. They they got off to a three and zero start, <clears throat> and I threw out a stat last week with uh, Mississippi State, uh, Vandy, and Kentucky all starting the season three and zero for the first time since nineteen eleven. They were all feeling themselves, and they all three lost. And so we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about all three of those games plus one other. But Vandy. They didn't just lose. <clears throat> they got all they wanted from Alabama. It was a, a score of 59 to nothing. And uh, I, hold on, guys. I just got this across the wire. Oh, Alabama just scored another touchdown. Um, but, I mean, they were they were early and often on a roll. <clears throat> Alabama was able to get – I think they were able to clear their entire bench, I, I think. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa got extensive minutes at quarterback. Najee Harris – was able to get a lot of time at running back. They were able to rotate a lot of guys in, and it was ugly. Tagovailoa was 8 of 10 for 103 yards and two touchdowns. Damien Harris, 12 carries, 151 and three touchdowns. Jerry Judy um, of Alabama had three catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. The only thing Vanderbilt was able to successfully do is uh, they they got back to the locker room at the end of the game without any guidance. But other than that, they were – they were they, they were pretty pretty dreadful there. Um, another game I kind of want to mention, <clears throat> a little bit less in depth, but how bad are the Missouri Tigers? It is, I mean, I I flipped over. It was like towards the end of the first quarter. It was twenty eight to nothing. Uh, Auburn was up on them. They ended up beating them fifty one to fourteen. And Barry Odom, this defensive uh, the the former defensive coordinator, now head coach of the Missouri Tigers, had this like in his press conference. Um, had this like fire and brimstone speech. And it's one of those speeches where he was going through his press conference. You know, you're like, oh man, the end is near for this guy. This guy won't last at all with these kind of things. He's going to either burn himself out or he's going to get fired in two weeks. But it, it's bad in Missouri. I mean, they're, they're not just losing. They are, they are getting their brains beat in every single week. So that's a couple teams. Uh, I, I wanted my first quick slant to be, uh, the, uh, the quick slants that, that hit at five yards and go to the house. <clears throat> just just want to talk about a couple of SEC uh, conference game beatdowns uh, with Fandy and uh, Missouri. All right. Well, for my first slant, um, I wanted to keep things quick. So there were a bunch of Pac-12 games uh, over the weekend that we're not going to talk about here in our deep roots. So instead of just going through the numbers like usual, I decided to write a haiku for each of them. But I'm starting with my overall haiku. Now, Matt, I just want to uh, jump in real quick. Yes. Uh, it's been a while since I had high school English. Is that 353? Five, 575. Five. 575. Five, All right. Thank you. So, Pac-12 after dark. A good reason to stay in if you like offense. Bryce Love hmm. runs amok. Mora can't find any D. <laughs> Rosen's still amazing. <laughs> Cal Unis look great. That's Trojans okay. come out quite sluggish. Turnovers kill bears. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no punts for Pettis. Makes no difference for Dubs. Too wet for Ralphie. <laughs> Bluetooth saves his job. Someone should cover Harry. Freeman bottled up. 
Nice. <laughs> and for those of you curious out there, um, that was uh, my recap in haiku form of uh, Stanford's win over UCLA 58-34, USC 30 over Cal 20, Washington 37 over Colorado 10, and uh, Arizona State with the upset over Oregon 37-35. You didn't write one for the Pirate? Uh no, because it was a non-conference game, and non-conference doesn't get haiku. Uh, so are you going to do that the rest of the season? I, I mean, if if the fans like it, if the listeners want some haiku in their lives, I am happy to get. But maybe you know, maybe I'll try some free form. Maybe I'll try some um, iambic pentameter for uh, you know for for some other games later this season. Maybe I can, you can do change. Green, green eggs and ham for Jim Mora. I will not play defense over there. I will not play defense over here. Um, I will I, not I, play defense in the box. I will not play defense in the alley. <laughs> I will not play defense, Jim Mora. I am. I I will not sack the quarterback. Uh, I, I will not defend with a defensive back. <laughs> I will not defend in a box, in an alley, or over here or over there. I will not play defense, Jim I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, people, the people in Westwood are, uh, are, are not exactly uh, pleased with our old friend, uh, Playoffs Jr. They should show their anger by attending games, because right now, not attending games is the uh, norm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, okay, so I, I, I might, I might, I might have a Rose Bowl rant uh, <laughs> later, later this week or sometime next week, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll save that because that is not a quick slant. That that might be a slant and go. So, um, Josh, I'm gonna let you go off with your second slant. All right, I got a Texas two-step for us, uh, buried in some great overtime games, some close games, some upset games. It was a really intriguing matchup, uh, Texas Tech traveled down the road to Houston and won 27-24. Uh, dropped the Cougars to 2-1, and one, but they have a win over a Power 5 team already. Uh, beat Rice pretty good. Had to deal with all the, the stress of Hurricane Harvey and whatnot. And to uh, hit conference play at 2-1 and one and playing pretty well on both sides of the ball is a testament, I think, to the mental fortitude of those players. And Major Applewhite being a, a pretty good first-year coach thus far. Uh, but for Texas Tech, uh, they're playing uh, probably their best ball that they could possibly do right now through the season. Uh, played pretty good defense against Houston. Uh, they're 3-0. and They beat Arizona State, who just uh, knocked off Oregon. And we knew the Big 12 had three really good teams. And we thought TCU could equally jump into that top three. So the other eight, we we're sort of waiting for someone to emerge. And just so to be clear, far, just, to be cl- just to be clear, Josh, the three teams are Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State and Kansas, Kansas State. State. Okay. Uh, so we we're waiting. Uh, there were a lot of people out there picking Texas, and which I did not see before. Uh, the I, I picked them to come in seven. Most people, most people are idiots. Yeah, um, apparently. But we we're waiting for uh, someone from the other eight to emerge, and I, I think with their opening statements thus far through three games, you have to look at Kingsbury's team as um, maybe the, the upset special, the, the team that might pull off a win or two in this conference, upset someone's season, get to a decent bowl game. They played really good ball. 
Kiki Kuti is fast becoming one of my favorite players in the country. Yeah, because is it because of his name. Well, not just because of his name, but because that cat can play. Um, 11 catches, 161 yards. I mean, he caught a, a bomb for a 77-yard score. I mean, he's just – he's a beast, man. I'm I, I'm a fan. I know, like, you know, those receivers are going to put up big numbers in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. But obviously, you know, when, when Texas Tech holds opponents under 30 points, which they're now doing this year – you know, they can be dangerous. And uh, the Red Raiders, man, I mean, they get, um, you know, what's unfortunate for them is that they are at Oklahoma um, for one of their games. But they get Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and TCU all at home in Lubbock. So, you know, that's going to be uh, um, a lot of fun. It's always tough to play out there in West Texas. Um, it's going to be a night game uh, uh, versus Okie State. Um out uh on uh on saturday so they are hey, do you want to be even more at gary anderson by the way why well if he hadn't transferred uh stanley would be potentially battling nick shivanek to be iowa's starting quarterback oh gosh oh boy i don't mind I, you know what i don't mind shivanek at all um i I, th- I think he's a he's a very very solid signal caller so um, anyhow, Coach, uh, I know you got a couple more, uh, couple more SEC games for us, including um, the underwhelming Bayou Bengals. Oh yeah, uh, number twenty-five LSU hosted Sir Syracuse, and uh, Eric Dungey had himself quite a game. Thirty-two, Team of my youth. Uh, two hundred sixty-five yards and a touchdown. Daryl Williams led the led the Bayou Bengals in, in rushing with sixteen carries for ninety-two yards and a touchdown. Uh, Steve Ishmael. Uh, led the game in receiving 11 catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown for the Syracuse Orange. Orange getting back. Uh, I don't. I don't ever believe in moral victories, but this is one that Syracuse can look at and say, "Hey, we're maybe we're not quite so bad. Maybe we're not as bad as we thought we were. Maybe things are going to actually be okay." For LSU, man, they, you know, that Mississippi State win is looking a little bit like it makes more sense. Like maybe. Maybe Mississippi State was the better team in that matchup. Maybe LSU wasn't as vaunted as as we all thought. Maybe they're just like seems like they're just regressing under uh, under Ed Orgeron. But um, I saw I kept seeing that score and I'm like, that's not good. But there were so many other good games on. I never really checked on them. But I was just like, man, that's not good. Thirty five twenty six to Syracuse. I mean, Syracuse is a team that should be getting blown out week in and week out by teams like LSU, but. It's weird. Uh, also, South Carolina, they're feeling the effects of, of losing Debo Samuel. They they squeak out a home win against Louisiana Tech. Uh, the story of that game was South Carolina won the game on the kicker's very first career field goal. So uh, that was kind of neat, kind of interesting. Uh, it's kind of disheartening that they, they had to win in that fashion. But, again, they're reeling. They're, they're, not, they're not very deep yet. They're extremely talented. They're just – not very. They don't have a whole lot of depth yet. And, I mean, they're, uh, you know, they're they're really missing Debo Samuel. Coach, is Debo Samuel your favorite non-dog player in the SEC? Ooh, uh, maybe. The way you talk maybe. about him, it it really sounds like it's either got to be him or Tua Tagovailoa. Yes, well, I, I mean Najee Harris. Uh, I really like Stanley Williams at Kentucky, uh, mm. running back Stanley Boom Williams. I really like him a lot. He's a he's actually a Georgia product. He came from uh, Monroe. The Monroe area. I forget what high school. There's some. There's like 37 high schools in that area. So 
I forget which one it is, but um, I'll tell you who's not sitting comfortably right now. This might be the worst three-in-one team I've, I've ever seen. Uh, and that's the Tennessee Vols, and uh, a game that we'll preview uh, next week. It, I mean, honestly, as bad as they are, it may not be worthy of being a deep group unless there's other, unless there's no other games. But I mean, my God, uh, I've never seen such a mismanaged game uh, with them and UMass. I mean, UMass zero and five. UMass is awful. UMass wow. is. Wait, you're missing, uh, you're missing the big picture, Coach. Though. Massachusetts had a secret weapon on the sideline. Marcus Camby? No. Chris Berman was a special assistant on defense for the game. Oh, that's why. Okay. Ah. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That That's it. That's the answer. Well, dang. Okay. Well, shit. Wait, wait. Right. Berman, I'm out. <laughs> Berman went to Brown. I, I don't know what he Yeah, but he was, he was on the sidelines. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was bad all around. Looking I mean, at the looking at the quick slate of games, coach. By the way, uh, week week five, we've got some we, we've got some real good matchups. Um, I we're, my, our entire podcast later this week might be deep roots because I think we got we got about eight or nine games that we're going to want to really get into. But well, th- this could be this could be the end of the Butch Jones era next week, especially if if Georgia the uh, if Georgia the team we're going to talk about later. Uh, especially if they go in and lay down another smackdown. But, my God, I mean, it's – I mean, UMass, Berman and all, they had to hold them off. I mean, was, I mean, they scored less points against UMass than they did against Florida. I know. Which, I mean, Quint is – you got to beg the question, is Goran Tunnel that bad that he can't beat out Normandy? Um, I, I mean, they really are a one-trick pony with John Kelly. They, I've never – I never thought I'd ever say – you know, I say that jokingly about some teams in the SEC, but – you know, there's more to them, but Tennessee truly is a one-trick pony. They, they have mean, nothing else. The, the, you know, obviously their receiving core is depleted without Jawan Johnson. I think I think that's really showing because they they have no one on the outside that teams are scared of at this point. Um, yeah, their offensive line is underachieving. I mean, they they had one of the better. I mean, and, they did well. They did well recruiting offensive linemen, but. They haven't developed them worth the crap, in, and then in this Bob game, shoot. I mean, UMass was just going cover zero a lot of the time to sell out against John Kelly, and they, they, you know, and the Vols couldn't take advantage of it. I mean, he still got his hundred yards rushing and a touchdown on twenty five carries. Yeah, but it took twenty five carries to do so. Yeah, I mean, I, you I, know, I, I attributed it to Burnham. Yeah, you know, why is Dormandy seventeen of twenty seven for one hundred eighty seven and a touchdown? I mean, is UMass playing lockdown cover one or? Cover zero? Is that really like going to lock you down? I mean, <laughs> and and I I went on a uh, just just for pure entertainment. I went on the uh, I went on the uh, Tennessee message boards and the number one thread and it's like a five pager. It's if Butch is axed, offer Fuente in that five to six million dollar range. But does Fuente? Is Virginia, Virginia Tech might be a better job than Tennessee at this point? I think I think you're right. I don't think Fuente would want to. Uh, well, I, I think Tennessee is a lateral move from Virginia Tech right now. Yeah, I think that if if Tennessee is going to go after a guy, they also need to go after a guy who is defense first. And I'm not sure that Fuente is truly defense first. Yeah. I mean, so. I don't know. There's a young up and comer at Florida Atlantic. Tennessee might want to keep your eye on him. <laughs> <laughs> Round two. 
that would be, I mean. That's, that's funny. Uh, Tennessee fans hate a lot of things, but I don't know if they hate anything more than they hate Lane Kiffin. And if they got um, Lane Kiffin uh, Volume 2, The Redux, I, I don't know what would happen there. This place would explode is what would happen. It would be hysterical. Um, it would be hysterical, though. It would be absolutely hysterical. Um, the, the, uh, the, 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 last, the last game I want to talk about is probably one of the most exciting games in the conference, uh, Florida-Kentucky, which a game that you wouldn't normally think uh, would well, coach, be that Well, Coach, hang on to your hat for that one because we're going to talk about that in Deep Roots here. That's right. So, I'm going to do what's called the radio biz. I'm going to give you all a tease. Okay, well, uh, you, you, you can tease me like uh, Toots <laughs> and the Metals all day. But I'm going to get to my second slant, which is a game I previewed on last Thursday. Uh, Josh, Josh jumped on my other preview for uh, an American squad in a big non-conference matchup, but UCF – put on a truly dominant performance in College Park on Saturday as they walloped the Terps 38-10. to 10. Uh, Maryland, uh, you know, it didn't really help that Kasim Hill, their uh, quarterback who started the year, a uh, true freshman as the backup, but was forced into action after uh, Pigram went down with an injury, has started the last couple games. Uh, but he went down in the first quarter of this game, leaving third stringer Max Bortenschlager, to man the helm in his first meaningful game action of his career. And he definitely looked out of sorts. I mean, he was picked twice. He got sacked five times. The Golden Knights were also, you know, especially once Hill went out, the Golden Knights were completely able to bottle up Ty Johnson, the the really good running back there for the Terps. Um, He only got 25 yards and 11 carries. UCF quarterback Mackenzie Milton was very efficient, 18 of 30 for 178 yards and a score through the air. He added another 94 on the ground. And UCF, you know, we we talked about them coming into the year. Like, you know, this could be, you know, a a sleeper in the American. But, Josh, I know you've got them in your top 25 at this point. They do. I mean, they uh, they put on a show at Maryland, and they beat a not truly terrible Florida international team playing – Really good on both sides of the ball. It's funny. You texted saying you like their offense, and I responded back saying I really like the look of their defense so far. Yeah, their defense – I mean – their defense is improved by leaps and bounds. And Scott Frost is in his second season there, you know, doing stuff that I don't think any of us, I mean, we thought, we all thought that Scott Frost was, was a great hire. I think he was, when we graded out the coaching hires two seasons ago, I, I believe we gave UCF the highest grade out of all of the, all of the hires in the country in getting Frost. We all thought that was great. And, you know, um, uh, Josh, question for you. Do you think that Oregon would have been better off uh, promoting Scott uh, Scott Frost to their head coach instead of going out and, um, you know, having one more season under Helfrich and then, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, failing under that and going to get the new regime that they have now? Ooh, man, well, that, that's a tough question. I, I think we'll have to give Willie Fritz a year to see – Oh, oh really? Willie Fritz. Will, I think you know what I meant. You know, <laughs> Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart. Uh, I'll jump. I'll jump in on this. Um, you know, about the time all that stuff was happening, Scott Frost was going to UCF. They weren't far from being a participant in the national championship with Marcus Mariota. So yeah. it was it was kind of difficult timing wise to fire Helfrich because you fire Helfrich a year coming off coming off the national championship. 
that's not a good look for your program. Um, and I know Auburn kind of set the tone with firing Chiswick like two or three years after uh, he won it with Cam Newton. But, I mean, it's it probably wouldn't have been a good look. Uh, and it just sucks that, you know, they couldn't hang on to Scott Frost and whatnot. But, I mean, you know, when it's, when it's time, you know, Scott, they'll have another chance at Scott Frost. I, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Willie Taggart. I don't know if he's the answer yet or not. I think it's still way too soon to tell. But, you know, I think he could do a good job. He did a good job at South Florida. I don't see why he couldn't do I mean, a good I, job in a, in a conference think, that doesn't play defense. I think Willie Taggart is, you know, I, I think he is a, a, a very good head coach. And I think that Oregon will be just fine. But yeah. I also think that there's a chance that Scott Frost is a generational, not like, a, you know, a generational talent as a head coach. Yeah, could be. Um, this could, could very well program be. was in in the in in the bottom of the toilet. They weren't even in the toilet. They were in like the refill area behind the toilet when he came in. And in less than two years, he has turned this into a you know a top twenty five team. And obviously, you know, the Studers are going to come coming are going to yeah are going to be coming for him. Especially, obviously, Nebraska is going to be the team that you know once Riley is gone. Because let's face it, right? You know, the writing's on the wall there for Mike Riley. Uh, they're going to they're going to Riley would be lucky to make it till November. But I mean, building off what Coach was saying though too is <laughs> if you keep promoting from within, eventually you're going to run out of assistants true, that true. are good enough head coaches. At some point, you got to look outside, and the the timing really never aligned for Frost and Oregon. Yeah, well, and, you know, and you know, and maybe that's to the benefit of everyone at this point because maybe Frost needed to get out of there to really sort of spread his wings and show who he can be as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Like what yeah, I said, really, Fritz though, too late on a win. Uh, yeah, too. You know, I mean, all all the Willies, all, all the Willies doing well right now. <laughs> Obviously, you know, T- Taggart lost, but you know, I think that was his first uh, conference road game in the in the in the Pac-12 in this during his tenure at Oregon. So, you know, didn't have those guys quite prepared, but uh, <laughs> Herbert still. Looks good. I, I still like I, I still like Justin Herbert as a quarterback there um, at Oregon. He had three scores, no picks, and I think they should. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> I, think I like that, Justin Herbert too. And do you like him as much as Khalil Herbert, the uh, the running back in Kansas who had 291 yards and two scores against West Virginia in a absolute shootout there? Well, Khalil Herbert's my mostly on paper boy. <laughs> well, um, with with that, uh, uh, strangely, um, I don't even know what to say about your your voice there, Coach. But um, time for a little strangely pop- accurate. Yeah, time for a little, little professor's pop quiz time. So, gentlemen, you know how this works. I'm going to give you a question that's multiple answers. You will alternate between them in uh, a la Stump the Schwab. Um, on Friday night, I know that all three of us were actually watching the game. Uh, Boise State lost at home to Virginia 42-23 to in what was uh, – Without a doubt, the most impressive showing of the Bronco, Men- Bronco Mendenhall era for the Hoos. The loss was uh, Boise State's first loss, first non-conference loss at home since losing to Washington State on September eighth, two thousand and one, when they lost forty-one to twenty. So it was a sixteen-plus year-long non-conference home winning streak. Gentlemen, in that time span, the Broncos defeated twenty-three different teams in non-conference play. 17 from the FBS and 6 from the FCS. 
your job, shall you choose to accept it, is to name those 23 teams. Don't forget, in 2011, they switched from the WAC to the Mountain West. So there, there were times that while they were in the WAC, they were playing Mountain West teams that were non-conference but would be conference games for them now. Um, I will give you a hint. Uh, they played teams uh, in FBS from six different conferences, the MAC, the Mountain West, the Sun Belt, the Pac-10 slash Pac-12, Conference USA, and the WAC. And so, the SEC. Um, SEC? Georgia. Yeah, they beat Georgia. That was, a neutral, that was a neutral site game. Did you say home game? I said home, home game, yes. So on the Smurf turf. So, uh, Josh, I'm going to let you go first. You didn't officially, officially ask the question, so I didn't lose Okay, so, uh, <laughs> Coach, you are also quite far away from the microphone right now. Um, but, uh, yeah. so there are 23 teams that they have beaten, 17 in the FBS, 6 in the FCS, um, in, during the 16-plus-year-long 16 plus, 16 plus winning streak for non-conference games at home. For the Broncos on the Smurf turf, Josh. Yeah, name those teams. Uh, well, I got one right off the bat. I remember it because Legarrette Blount landed a really good left hook after Oregon got defeated. That is correct. That is one of the four Pac-10 or Pac-12 teams that they have beaten. Coach, they beat Washington State. That is correct. They beat uh, they beat Washington State in two thousand and sixteen. I believe it. Yeah, that's right. Josh, I think they also beat Washington one time. That is correct. They beat them in two thousand and fifteen. Yes, coach. They beat uh, Nevada. Nevada, yes. When right after they switched over to the Mountain West, they beat Nevada when Nevada was still in the whack. Well done, Josh. Mm, yeah, Nevada was on my radar. Now I gotta do some scrambling. Mm. A lot. A lot of the teams are very geographically close to them. Um. So this is really weird, but I know they. Either this year or last year played at Louisiana Lafayette, which I can only imagine was a home and home. Because why would you do that contract otherwise? So I'm going to go with the Raging Cajun at some point. That is correct. <laughs> I might be exhausted out of. I might be out of teams. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they beat it. There are two other. There are two other Sun Belt teams that they that they've played, including one this year, Josh. So, <laughs> uh, coach's turn next. Mm. Who'd they play from the Sun Belt? They played and they beat Louisiana Monroe. No, sorry, Coach. Not quite. Josh, for the win. So, um, I'm kind of thinking they probably have played BYU a couple times. They have played BYU more than any other team. They've Beat them four times at home in in that time span. That is correct. Have they ever played Eastern Washington? Uh, They've not played Eastern Washington. Okay, good, because that was my next guess after BYU. All right, so uh, I will go through the teams. In the MAC, they have beaten Central Michigan, Bowling Green, Miami of Ohio, and Toledo. The Mountain West, uh, you mentioned BYU, but they were an independent at the time that they beat them. They've been independent in Mountain West while 
Boise was in the whack. Um, so they've also beat Wyoming and Utah State while they were member. Well, during the time that Boise was still in the whack, uh, Sun Belt they beat guys in state Idaho. Come on now. Oh. <laughs> well, um, you got Louisiana Lafayette, but you did not get Idaho. Um, when did also- they play at the Raging Cajun? Was that this year or last year? Because last year. And then Lafayette fired their defensive coordinator after the game, right? That is correct. Nice. Um, they also uh, played Utah State uh, multiple times. Uh, they beat them twice at home um, when Utah State was an FBS independent. Um, from uh, from the belt, they beat yep, Idaho, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, and Troy. This year, they beat Troy. Uh, you guys got three of the four Pac-10 slash Pac-12 teams. You got Oregon, Washington, and Wazoo. You did not get the team that they've beaten the most, which is Oregon State. I mean, everyone beats Oregon State the most. Yes. Uh, from Conference USA, they've beaten Tulsa and Southern Miss. From the WAC, you guys got Nevada. Um, and from FCS, uh, they've beaten Idaho State twice. They've beaten Portland State, Sacramento State, Weber State, UC Davis, and UT Martin. Coach, come on. It's in your backyard. How do you not know who UT Martin plays all the time? <laughs> the damn Skyhawks. Was, um, <laughs> back in about 2000, that looks to be about 2013, they beat them. So, oh, I, I was know. at that game. I remember that. <laughs> So um, that was your professor's pop quiz for the day. I thought that was, uh, you know, I mean, we all were, we all caught bits and pieces of that game. Man, I feel bad. I, I almost never forget a Sacramento State game. So I was actually more disappointed that you forgot the UC Davis game, but you know, so it goes. In Portland State, I mean, Portland State plays pretty much every team in the Pacific Northwest at some point. So yeah, true. Portland. <laughs> Well, it's time to, for us to get to our deep roots, so um, we need to move on from uh, the professor's pop quiz because, let's face it, um, that one was a little bit more eccentric than it has been in the past, but we're going to keep going with it because, let's face it, I like making you guys look stupid sometimes. So It's um, not very hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, we're, we're going to start, Coach, with your dogs. And in the battle of the Bulldogs, one dog reigned supreme, and that was Ugga, thirty-one to three over Mississippi State in what was a good old-fashioned beatdown. Nick Fitzgerald went from looking like a you know, Heisman contender against LSU to a guy that could be benched after that Georgia game. Um, uh, you know, after watching this one, I, I might you know you could I think I can make a, a pretty strong argument that. Georgia might have the best defense in the country. Uh, how say you, Coach? I agree, man. I, I've never seen a defense swarm so much. They played pissed off, honestly. Uh, they, it's like they'd been challenged all week. Oh, here comes Nick Nick Fitzgerald. Okay, here's the here's the guy that's going to solve the mystery of the Georgia defense. Look what he did against LSU. Well, Georgia said, you know what? Enough of that crap. We're going to shut him down, and that they did. I mean, Roquan Smith, man, like he is, he's something else. I mean, you said it coming into the season. You said that, you know, this was the guy for this defense. And and obviously they've got so many playmakers. they got J.R. Reed. they got Lorenzo Carter. But, man, Roquan Smith, I felt like every time I was looking at the TV, he was tackling another guy, um, either in the backfield or, you know, just beyond the line scrimmage. 
what what's crazy is like you see you see a giant hole open up, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, oh crap, and then then all of a sudden you blink your eye, and here comes three just screaming into the hole, and it just destroys the ball carrier for a one yard gain, which which in most cases would have been a ten yard gain um, against any other defense. But I mean, he just his and uh, I say that to, to illustrate his closing speed is unlike many linebackers in the uh, in the entire country. I mean, I've never never seen anything like it. You know, it's just, it's just so – it's just elite. And, you know, the defensive line with Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy were just harassing Nick Fitzgerald all night long. Uh, Malcolm Parrish returned to the lineup, and, and he was a big boost, even though he wasn't completely 100% in, in game shape. He was he, – he provided a huge boost for the Georgia uh, secondary. Tyreek McGee made some big plays. J.R. Reed, uh, DeAndre Baker was was the player of the game defensively. He had a pick and a and a million and a half pass breakups. I mean, it's just everybody contributed. Special teams contributed with uh, with Rodrigo Blankenship hitting a couple field goal, couple big field goals, uh, putting his kickoffs deep in the deep in the end zone uh, and not allowing any returns. Punt, the punt coverage team was great. The kickoff coverage team was great offensively. They we were able to run it, uh, you know, spread the ball around. Nick Chubb got 81 carries and two touchdowns. Sonny Michelle was able to to get loose. DeAndre Swift was able to get loose. Brian Harrington was able to get loose. Terry Godwin had two huge catches for 80 yards and a touchdown. Jake Fromm looked extremely confident. And the fact that he went nine of 12, only only attempted 12 passes. And we won thirty-one to three. Just tells you all you really need to know about this game. Well, on top of that, he had he only attempted twelve passes, but still got more than two hundred yards through the air. Exactly. And so, the question and that, is, one of them was to a tight end. Uh, the question, Isaac Nata, man, he got that big forty-one yard uh, catch for a touchdown there in the third quarter. Uh, my question is, who is Jake Superior now? I don't know. Um. I mean, do, do we have a prognosis on Eason when he's supposed to return? And I mean, he was already back at practice. I mean, but at this point, can you really make the switch? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you can. To be Josh, honest with you, Josh, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I think you got to ride the hot hand. You never want to see defense and uh, injury and someone's play out there. But if you're going to do what Fromm did, I just don't know how you can go back to Eason. Yeah, I don't know how you can go back to to Easton either, even though, you know, I mean, both these guys are, you know, we're both very, very highly touted recruits coming in. Um, they're a year apart from each other in age. But, I mean, from, from at this point, you know, he, he had some jitters there in his first start. But, uh, you know, he looks like he is in command of this offense. And the game is absolutely slowing down for him, which, you know, I know that's such a cliche, but. Man, like he, he just looks so cool, calm, and collected out there. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that he's got some really, really good backs to hand the ball off to. You mentioned Chubb. Swift looked great again. And, you know, with limited touches, he got, you know, he got 10 carries and I think caught one ball out of the backfield. But, you know, gosh, I mean, Georgia is 
I think Georgia is head and shoulders above the rest of the SEC East at this point. And I'm not sure if there's anyone, you know, especially with, you know, South Carolina got off to a hot start, but they've obviously fallen off, especially with the injury to Debo Samuel. And they don't, they don't have the depth that Georgia does. And Florida has been, you know, we'll talk about Florida in a little bit, but you know, I, I don't think there's anyone, any really anyone who's going to challenge Georgia going forward. So, so the key for for your dogs coach is going to be just, you know, keeping their head on straight and, you know, not getting, you know, not getting too overly confident in themselves and thinking they can just be anyone, but they've got the talent to, you know, you know, not just to beat everyone in the East, but possibly to stick with Alabama. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think they're the, they're the team that's built the most like Alabama. Uh, this Georgia team has never really experienced this much depth and that's that's the thing that, that I'm impro- impressed with the most is just the depth that Kirby Smart has built in just his second year taking over the program. So uh, you have to think that it's not going to be long before they're competing with Alabama um, on the field. Well, we're going to move from... Okay. Well, I just had one other comment though about this game and, you know, granted I was inside Kiddick so I didn't see a single second of this game so I had to rely on looking at the box score and the, the drives and stuff. One thing that I noticed is uh, Mississippi State just seemed to not really take advantage of the few opportunities Georgia gave them. Uh, Bulldogs had a fumble at about uh, Mississippi State 40, so shorter field, only 60 yards to go. State only gets a, nothing out of it. You know, they have to punt. And then uh, State's field goal at the end of the first half, that, was, uh, that drive got down to a first and 10th of 15 and got – only six more yards before kicking it. You, know, you can't have an empty trip inside the 10 like that. Um, and then in the second half, the, the interception, you know, led to a, a Georgia touchdown a few plays later, 28-3 at that point kind of over, but then the interception leading to another field goal. You know, just those backbreakers. That, you know, I think if uh, they take advantage of that shorter field and, and finish that red zone trip with a touchdown, maybe it's 14-10 at halftime. We're talking about a little bit more confidence, a little bit more pop in the second half. Yeah, I mean, and then the uh, the very the very last play, the very last two plays of the game just kind of tell you how the game went for Mississippi State. They get down there, they rip it down there on the second team, and all of a sudden they get to the goal line and – they throw a ball to the two-yard line, and most teams would have probably just let it run in and, you know, been happy with a 31-10 to 10 win. But Georgia's defense, they just – they said, nope. And I forget exactly who it was, but they just stuffed them right there at the two-yard line, drove them backwards. Next play, Georgia blitzes and ends the game with a uh, with a, with a tackle for loss. So, it's uh, it was a very telling – it was just – honestly, just a beat down in all aspects of, of the game. All right, well, from one co-host's native team to another, we're going to head to Kinnick Stadium where you were in the house, Josh, for what was the best game of the weekend. Um, Penn State on a miracle, uh, miracle uh, play to end the game beats your Hawkeyes, Josh, but... You know, uh, you you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, there are no such thing as moral victories or whatever. But Iowa looked up to the task on on Saturday. Uh, you know, um, Akram Wadley 
you know, had a bit of a coming at a bit of a national coming out party, you know, big 10 fans know who Wadley is, but I don't think a lot of people outside of the big 10 know who Wadley is, but uh, you know, he was, you know, almost at the level of Saquon Barkley, who I am convinced at this point might be actually a bionic human. <laughs> uh, he is, he is something else. And I, I despise Ped state and you know, and I am, I am still, ridiculously impressed with Saquon Barkley. So, Josh, you were in the house. Uh, give us your thoughts on the game. Iowa's defense is legit. Um, the offense still a work in progress. Iowa punched way above their, their weight class. But uh, the reason they couldn't finish off the upset is they got nothing offensively in the first half. And I know they were up 7-5 to five due to some flukiness. Penn State missed a field goal. Penn State had some red zone trips end in just three points. Um, but at one point, Iowa had 20 total yards of offense and 20 yards of penalties. Uh, way too many drops, poor on third down. Uh, they just couldn't do it. If they had one drive in the first half, if it was 14-5 to five in the first half, I-, I think they would have pulled it off. But – uh, the defense just got gassed because they were out on the field all first half, and it ended up being almost 40 minutes of time of possession to 20 minutes time of possession. You know, Penn State doubled us up in, in T.O.P., and, uh, you know, Iowa just just didn't have the same pass rush push on that, that last drive, and you saw it with, uh, you know, the, that very last play. McSorley got to throw it into a really tight window, but – there really wasn't much around him pressuring him. And that was the difference between the first half and especially that fourth quarter where Penn State did just enough. I want to talk about that uh, that safety there in the second quarter, Josh. Terrible what, play call. Terrible who, play. Who throws a, a, a toss play where Wadley gets the ball like six or seven yards deep in the end zone with – you know, when they didn't even block the backside defensive end. I, I just I did not understand uh, that, that. That's what we call getting too cute. That's where you outthink yourself. Iowa got three yards on a quarterback sneak. Like, do they think that – I, I would have done another quarterback sneak. Do they think that, you know, the defensive end was going to bite on that bite on that terrible fake to the fullback? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. It was, it was bad play call, and in many ways it cost Iowa the game. I know. It, it really did. It really, really did, and obviously, you know, my uh, my man crush Nathan Stanley acquitted himself very well. Oh, he got no help. There were drops left and right. Yeah, you know, oh, I know. Yeah, you know, I know this. Is, I Matt, know this. Van, Matt Vandenberg was uh, kind of a disappointment in this one. Yeah, I think he's still a pinch slow from his injury. He had a pretty massive uh, injury a year ago that mm-hmm. uh, he might be back. Technically speaking, but he's not as explosive as he. And I'm surprised they didn't go to Noah Fant more because um, I think he, I think he's a mismatch. I, I think he's a very yeah. good tight end. Yeah, I mean uh, th- that's what I was still figuring out. I mean Brian Ferentz, let's not forget this was his fourth game ever calling an offense. He's never done it at any point in his career before. And I mean, you know, coach, you mentioned some of the struggles for you coaching a high school offense your first year, uh, you know, what Brian Ferentz is, is trying to do the same thing at collegiate level against a top five team. Yeah. I mean, you got, you know, you got defenses and I've actually experienced where a couple of games where 
it didn't matter what you called, how brilliant the call was. The defense was just too good, and uh, and our guys just couldn't block their guys. And it just came down to simply winning one-on-one matchups. And Penn State won more one-on-one matchups in the trenches. They won more one-on-one matchups on the perimeter. Saquon Barkley, anytime he got the ball in his hands, and anytime he got loose, he won his one-on-one battles, got huge yardage. Um, the defensive end won his one-on-one battle for that safety that made a difference in the game, uh, had a few drops. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, it was it was a pretty back-and-forth game. I, I'm very confident that Iowa um, is going to give Wisconsin everything they could handle moving forward. I think uh, Iowa is a very legitimate uh, contender in this conference. I think they can play. Uh, are they ready to win the thing? Probably not. But are they ready to be a major player? Um, in the years to come in the Big Ten Conference? I think so. I mean, I think they showed me a lot. And, I mean, uh, Iowa, Iowa is still a little bit young um, at certain positions. And that's scary. That's the uh, scary I'll, part. I'll see this for Penn State, though. Um, I, I'm not seeing them win a national title. They uh, kind of a one-man band. They needed Berkeley to set the school's all-time, all-purpose yardage record. To have a two-point win as an unranked Iowa team. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember who had that before, Josh? No. Kurt Warner. Oh, nice! I forgot about him. He had such a long NFL career, <laughs> um, um, like most Penn State running backs. Uh, <laughs> well, the other thing about Penn State too that was jarring is uh, you know, so they're kind of a one-man band, and then they. They have something that makes me nervous, and that is they're out of the shotgun essentially every play. And they had some fourth down conversions. They had some third down conversions where, uh, or attempts even, where they're out of their shotgun. It's third and one. You're making it a third and six. And it's just like if they played that style against Alabama, who's flying up to the ball, Georgia, who's flying the ball? I mean, Iowa has some good linebackers, but we're not not flying the ball like some of the top five defenses uh, in the country. Speaking of good linebackers, though, Josie Jewell again showed that he is uh, he, he should be on the short list for I, I don't remember the name of the the top linebacker award in the country, but Buckus Award, I believe, um, uh, he, that that he needs to be there because he was uh, everywhere, and he had at, at one point he freaking. Uh, him and Bar- him and Barkley had some serious collisions. Yeah, yep. I mean, he had 16 tackles in this game, and it felt like he had you know 60 tackles. Given you know uh, one of the things that you know looking at this game, Penn State ran 99 uh, offensive plays to Iowa's 45. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, Josh, you talked about time of possession being, you know, uh, twice as much for Penn State over Iowa. So the fact that Iowa was in this game is a testament to their defense. That, you know, the fact that Penn State ran 99 plays and only scored 21 points is, you know, pretty outstanding. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, Iowa should have been down three or four touchdowns at halftime. Yeah. So, um, you know, kudos to – Kudos to the Hawks. They're going to be, um, you know, I think at this point in the Big Ten West, you're probably looking at a three-team race. 
between uh, the Hawkeyes, the Badgers, and Northwestern. Maybe oh, I think Minnesota is way better than Northwestern. Okay, well, uh, we can talk about that um, later in the week. But it's time for us to hop over to our next game, which was – Can I just say uh, thank you to uh, Notre Dame for hopefully uh, softening it up Sparty for us next weekend? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I can't speak on behalf of the Golden Domers because I am not uh, I'm not baptized. But, <laughs> um, you, know, you know, we, we can, uh, you know, we, we can extend our, 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 thank, our, our thanks over there to uh, Brian Kelly, who has never gotten mad at anyone in his whole life. Uh, speaking about Notre Dame, I'm going to share a really random anecdote for people. Uh, so I saw in the story one time to someone who's a lapsed Catholic, and they found it hilarious, so maybe some of our listeners will too. Uh, we were at a family friend's wedding. Um, they were Catholic. There was a Catholic service and all that, and they do be uh, the sacrament or whatever. None of us are Catholic. We don't know anything about it. We see everyone standing up, getting in line. So the Cook family gets in line and has a little snack, gets a little cracker, a little sip of wine, and... Evidently, you need to be baptized and be, like, gone through confirmation to take the sacrament. So uh, the three rubes, my, my brother wasn't there, so it was just the three of us. But, but, yeah, the three of us all had a cracker. So sorry about that, Catholic Church. It's okay. I when I was younger, we're talking about going off the rails now. Um, I I went. We're talking about Notre Dame football. This is totally on. So I went to a summer camp called Camp Stella Maris, and uh, Camp Stella Maris. Little did I know was Catholic camp. Um, my family is not religious in the least, and they would get us up in the middle of the night to make us go to midnight mass, and I had absolutely no idea what was going on. So that was uh, good times at Camp Stella Maris. I also got um, I also got sent to the equivalent of detention there for uh, making fun of a couple kids who had German sounding names and calling them Nazis. <laughs> oh my god! So um, I'm sorry, Ben Millenhausen. Uh, you were actually one of my good friends. Uh, I'm sorry that I called you a Nazi. I did not mean it. I did not know what it meant at that point. <laughs> oh my god, Matt. okay nothing i say is gonna top that for the night and on that note let's talk about nc state's upset of florida state so florida state coming off uh hadn't played football uh, competitive football i should say in three weeks um they were starting um a true freshman quarterback in the game uh obviously because of the injury to deandre francois um you know uh james blackman in his uh first collegiate start um, you know, he, he, his stats were all right, 22 30, of 38, 278 yards and a touchdown. But uh, it, it was very clear that he, um, you know, is not nearly as in control of this Florida State offense as uh, Francois is. So, you know, but, you know, Josh, we talked about uh, NC State, especially with their defensive front being, you know, being very strong. And it showed against Florida State. They really bottled up uh, the run game uh, at, you know, uh, for Florida State, the only average four yards to carry. Cam Akers was not able to get loose at all. So, uh, what were your, some of your thoughts here on this one? Yeah, they bottled it up nicely, but Florida State did them some favors, only calling twenty six runs total, twelve to Cam Akers. I mean, gotta feed the beast. Gotta gotta try to establish run game better than that. Having thirty eight passing attempts for a kid making his first career start, I don't think that's a very uh, smart game plan and it's not like they were getting blown out and trying to play catch up they were i didn't all game uh the other takeaway i had is 
I don't know what the weather was, so maybe it was ungodly oh, hot. It, it was a sunny, beautiful day there. Well, on TV, it looked like the top ten rows of the stadium were totally empty. And I'm sorry, Knowles. Like, I thought you guys had an awesome stadium and great fan base and everything, but not even showing up for this game. I don't get it. I don't know what's going on down there, and NC State took full advantage. Uh, Finley was awesome. The defense uh, played pretty well, especially against the, the run like we talked about. But uh, something's not right in the waters in Tallahassee. Yeah, you know, four sacks um, and coach uh, Bradley Chubb. Uh, no relation to Nick Chubb, I don't believe. but They're uh, cousins, actually. Oh, okay. Well, Bradley Chubb, cousin Nick, uh, of, of Nick Chubb. Uh, he, you know, he might have been the superior Chubb this weekend. Well, I don't know. That's that's that they were both really good. And, yeah, uh, Bradley had you know Bradley seven tackles, two sacks, two tackles. Brad, for Bradley Bradley had a brother that played at Wake Forest, or might still play at Wake Forest. Man, we need some more chubs in college football. I know. <laughs> what a what a great. Uh, but yeah, Jalen Samuels just took over this game. Two touchdowns. They broke a ten game losing streak to ranked teams. That was the kind of stat that I looked at when I made my selection prior to this game. But, I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize how bad things were getting in Tallahassee. I, I mean, don't... Coach, I mean, you grew up, you, you grew up, you know, watching the Knowles, rooting for your Knowles, your dad played for the Knowles. I mean, they're – They've I mean, never – I mean, this is honestly the first time since 1989 that they started a season 0-2. Um, but, you know, and ever since I remember watching college football, I mean – my, one, some of my first memories are the Charlie Ward, Warwick Dunn teams that, you know, that stadium was rocking. And that, and up until even now, they've never really skipped a beat, but the stadium's always been packed. They've always, they've always had good fan support. And it's just, and it's weird. I mean, they're out of the AP top 25 for the first time in six years. And, you know, I mean, I, for Florida State, you, you, you got to wonder, you know, what's going on. They've got a surprisingly tough game at Wake Forest, you know, this week. Um, and then they've got Miami. Then they've got then they got to play Miami. Then they're at Duke. Then they've got Louisville. I mean, you know, all all four of those teams are formidable opponents at this point. And I mean, it's not. I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to go zero and six. They're not going to no. go zero and six. But no, they won't. But still, I mean, Florida State, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta worry a little. You know, you gotta worry a little bit if you're a Knowles fan. This is a team that was the number three team coming into the season. That big first game against Alabama, you know, people hyped up. But hey, I, you know, I always knew that Francois was good and important, but I didn't realize he was this important to the team. Right. I mean, you know, quarterback is a pretty big position, but I mean, still, you're Florida State. You should have somebody that you feel pretty good about. That you're going to have a good, you know, conservative game plan. You have Cam Akers. You have a good running game. You know, you, your defense is, I, I thought, pretty good. But you know, defense lets you down. Special teams let you down. Play calling lets you down. You didn't take care of your freshman quarterback. And you know, if if you want to look, if you want to learn how to take care of a freshman quarterback, just look at what Georgia's doing. They only tipped twelve passes. Jake Fromm completed nine of them for two hundred and one yards. That's called efficiency right there. That's called protecting a freshman quarterback and letting your defense go and play. Florida State did not do that. They did not help themselves out. Therefore, they are 0-2 for the first time since 1989. Yeah. Well, um, let's uh, switch over to another team from the state of Florida that 
you know, eked out a victory in Lexington. Uh, the Gators 28-27 over Kentucky. Kentucky's defense on that last drive, Coach, was so mixed up. They did not – they decided just to not cover um, the wide receivers, especially um, – um, I, I forget who caught the last touchdown. Was it Powell who caught the who caught the game winning touchdown, or was it, it, it Tony? It was one or the other. But uh, you know, they just decided that they didn't need to cover anyone on the last drive. And they only had ten men on the field, and I had two timeouts. Someone call a timeout. I know, and but Josh, you must be happy because you've been calling. It, it was for... Freddie Swain. Oh, Swain, that's right, um, Coach. You you've been. Um, uh, sorry, I should say, Josh, you've been calling for Luke Del Rio for a little while now. He came in and was a savior for him. Yeah, I mean, 9 of 14, I know he had the pick, but I just think he's the best quarterback of their team in terms of having experience, making reads, and things like that. I mean, uh, Felipe Franks, the ceiling on him is pretty high. I mean, we saw that during the Tennessee game. I just think Del Rio's experience is something Franks has yet to, uh, to recreate, but you know, I talked about missed opportunities for Mississippi State. My God, Kentucky leaving points out on the field left and right. They missed a 48-yard uh, field goal. Um, I know that's a long one, but Austin McGinnis has one ball of a leg and is a, throws a candidate. I feel bad that they missed points there. Uh, they had a field goal to take a 14 – or, excuse me, a 24-14 lead. Uh, problem was they had a first and goal at the five. And then they had a delay of game, then a one-yard run, then a three-yard run, and then a loss of 18. Got to get seven there. Got to get seven. And, and, you know, Matt, you mentioned on that final drive, just not, being, not having 10 players on the field with two timeouts. How is – you know, where's Stoops? How's the defensive coordinator not screaming down the field to take a timeout? It was just mayhem. They're not an organized team. I don't think they're well-coached. I don't think Stoops is a very good head coach. He's a great coordinator, but uh, it's just not right at Kentucky. Hey, coach, we've talked a lot. Of, we, we've talked a lot about this season, the Florida offensive line, and how they've been much maligned. But they were much, much better than this game. They only gave up one sack, four tackles for a loss, only one hurry on top of that one sack. So um, I think that was. I, I think that might have been the the most positive thing for the Gators to take out of this game. Yeah, very much so, and, and that, that was the reason they were able to stay in it. They were able to uh, keep giving themselves opportunities. Their offensive line gave gave quarterbacks plenty of time to throw. They gave uh, plenty of running room for the in the run game, and they just, like I said, they just gave themselves time to to work and time to withstand Kentucky's blows. They they knew that if they hung in there, kept plugging away, kept as, as we say, kept chopping wood that Kentucky would soon relinquish the lead and they would soon open the door for them to win this game. And the same as what's happened the last 30 times, uh, Kentucky opened the door one more time for them and Florida took advantage of it. And so if you're going to beat Florida, you need to, you know, the key to beating Florida, and, and I know this may sound like an ob- obvious observation, but, you know, you got their team you have to jump on early. You know, if it's a tight one down to the wire, Florida's going to win that game more times than not. If you're going to beat Florida, you've got to crush them early and often. And if you don't, you give them a you give them an inkling of hope, they're going to win. And they, they, they showed this week in and week out. They showed it against Tennessee last week. 
They showed it against Kentucky this week. Kentucky had them on the ropes on several occasions, couldn't deliver that knockout blow. They never did. Luke Del Rio came in and absolutely slammed the door in their face and said, no, not this year. We'll make it 31 in a row. All right, well, we're going to move well, on. I'll to- tell you what's incredible, too, about their 31 wins in a row is it's taken Florida's advantage in the series to 51 to 17. That means when it was started, it was basically a dead even, maybe not rivalry, but series. Yeah, I mean, it was 15-17 at that point. I mean, before Spurrier took over as head coach uh, in between his playing days and when he took over as head coach, Florida was pretty pitiful of a program. Well, it's time for us to move on to our final game of the week. Um, And that was the big upset, TCU over Oklahoma State, 44-31. And, um, you know, we'll get into the game, but I have a big old-fashioned bone to pick with, you know, the guy who I, de- I defend week in and week out, and that's Mike Gundy. <laughs> um, Why are you going to stop betting on him? Um, I, I don't know. But, okay, yeah. so um, fourth quarter, um, about six minutes left. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State down 37-24 and driving. Uh, they're at the TCU 23. Um, it's, you know, uh, you know, you start thinking, okay, you know, they can score here, get back, make it a one score game. Uh, you've got a Heisman, you know, Heisman trophy candidate and Mason Rudolph, um, at quarterback. So what do you do? They decide to run a wide receiver pass to Jalen McCleskey, who throws it straight to Nick Orr for TCU, who's like the, the 18th Orr brother, by the way, to play uh, FBS college, fo- uh, college football. Uh, the Ors just keep pumping out kids. They got a linebacker at Wisconsin. They got, a, they got another one who plays at the Ravens right now. They've had like three of them go to TCU. But um, I'm sorry, you have, you know, one of probably the three best quarterbacks in the entire country. Why is he not throwing the ball for you? Like, that is... Uh, You've you've been there for what a dozen years at this point at Oklahoma State, um, Mr. Mullet. Like, why on earth would you think that it's a good idea down two scores to have you know your wide receiver throw throw a pass? It's you know I understand like wanting to do some trickeration, but that's not what you do in the fourth quarter with six minutes left down two scores. I'm sorry, it was a dumb play. And I, that's quite frankly what cost them the game. And you know, I, 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 I might have to, I might have to cut off the mullet at this point. You know, <laughs> it, it might be time to uh, to break out the clippers and and, and shave it all off, Josh. It's, ne- it's never time, <laughs> Josh. Uh, what say you? Uh, well, that was one of the points that I was going to make uh, that I, that I call was dumb. But just overall sloppiness by Oklahoma State, this has been a, something that's just hit them before in marquee matchups, and uh, it, it hit them again. Four turnovers. Uh, they had 77 penalty yards on eight flags. Uh, that's four more flags than TCU and uh, 54 more yards lost to, uh, to penalties than the Frogs had. Uh, they had double-digit tackle for losses, which is impressive, but then they would just turn around and give up the third down conversion. TCU went 11 of 19 on third down, and you just add those things together, and, and you see another deflating, marquee 
big matchup, big top 25 duel, go against the Pokes and, and go against Gundy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I said this to my dad. I was like, there's a lot of reasons why it's fun to root for Oklahoma State. But since they kind of tear your heart out and they're always assuming they're better than they end up being, it's also really fun when Oklahoma State loses. And I was, I was conflicted because I like Rudolph. I like Gundy overall. This is a likable team. But at the same time, it was kind of fun watching TCU beat him. <laughs> Coach? Wow. Uh, I definitely do not believe we should cut the mullet. That's, that'd be a bad idea. But, I mean, it really was a, a kind of an intriguing, entertaining game. Mason Rudolph um, just was stifled. 22 of 41 uh, for 398 and two touchdowns. He also threw two picks. Uh, but I mean, I mean, uh, you know, you know, a, a quarter of those yards came on one bomb to James Washington, who I, I still don't understand how he, how, how teams are not. I mean, they they double covered him and he's still getting open. So I mean, Washington is outstanding, outstanding receiver. But yeah, I mean, I just felt like those three hundred ninety-eight yards uh, were were all scattered. I just didn't feel like and they, they were em- they, those are empty yards. Yeah, and I feel like they just never got to a rhythm and. You know, yeah, they scored a few times when they wanted to and looked good on a few tries. But I think overall, if you hold Oklahoma State to 31 points and your offense can, can get going, which TCU did, I, I, I think that that's a, that's a great game against a team like Oklahoma State who's so explosive with a guy like James Washington. Who you, can't, you can't single cover. You can't double cover. You can't play zone. You can't play man. You can't do anything against James Washington. He's going to go off no matter what. Um, but, you know, they just quite frankly, I, I think the coaching battle between the mullet and Gary Patterson, I, I think it was just Gary Patterson outcoached him. I think they had a great game plan against them. They did. TCU's defense had their way with Oklahoma State. They controlled them for the most part. Obviously, uh, Oklahoma State was able to get loose a few times, but they really, uh, time of possession, uh, just holding on to the ball. TCU started the game up. I can't remember if any of y'all said this, but they had 85 plays, and they had the ball for just over 39 minutes. That is – that's impressive in and of itself, just like – just because that's the ball that long. So, uh, big ups to TCU, their coaching staff, and they're really – they're just – they're back on track. And, and I, I kind of – I knew it wouldn't be long. I, I thought this was Oklahoma State's game to lose. I thought this was their conference to lose. And uh, – but TCU is, is really showing me – Showed me a lot. It showed me a lot uh, yesterday. Yeah, a couple guys from this game. Darius, An- Darius Anderson. Um, he, you know, he, he got he got thirty touches in this game. Twenty six carries, four catches, more than two hundred total yards and three scores. Um, he he's a real playmaker as a sophomore there at TCU. Also, why are teams still kicking to Kevante Turpin? He didn't take one to the house, but he had a big forty two yard return. Um, on a kickoff earlier in the game, he's one of the most dangerous return men. I'd say after probably Dante Pettis out there at Washington, he might be the second best returner in the country. I don't know why teams are still kicking to him. Uh, just another, another boneheaded, you know, ideas from Oklahoma State. So I'm, you know, as someone who is, you know, I, I've been pretty vocal about my support for for Gundy and the Pokes over the past, you know, you know, three seasons that we've been doing this podcast, but. Man, just between the between the McCleskey pass and you know Mason Rudolph, not only those two interceptions, he had a fumble as well. 
you know, not taking care of the ball. I'm, I'm pretty disappointed here in, in the pokes and I picked them to win the big 12 this year. And, you know, it's, it, it's rough. Obviously, you know, they can get it all, um, you know, they can get it all back on track with, uh, obviously with, with Bedlam, that's not coming up for another month, but you know, they're, they got to go to Lubbock this weekend. And we saw, we saw how, you know, how well the Red Raiders are playing um, with that, you know, win against Houston this past weekend. And, you know, that should be a, you know, another very high scoring affair. I think that, you know, Oklahoma State will be favored in that game, but, you know, Texas Tech is not a team to sleep on. So, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be some tough sledding for, for the Pokes going forward. And, you know, they've got to get, you know, They've got to get they've got to get the ship righted a little bit after this TCU loss because, I mean, they're I, I, I'm a little bit worried about you know where their heads are at this point. Um, they don't have time to you know to sulk and feel bad about themselves because they got to go against the Texas Tech team that we all know can put up some big points. Um, and Man, they'll, they'll be fine, dude. They 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 really will be. I I think they're well coached enough. I think they're established enough of a program now that they'll be fine as far as being able to recoup and do what they do. They just, you know, Mason Rudolph was a little off for them. TCU had a great game plan against them. I think TCU were just kind of underestimating just how much of a juggernaut they are and just how good they got with Gary Patterson. Yeah, I mean, and obviously Gary Patterson, one of the longest tenured coaches in the country, and, you know, a you know obviously he, he's a guy who is a known as a defensive mastermind, and, and holding Oklahoma State to 31 points is, is pretty darn impressive. Especially after you know we saw what Oklahoma State did against you know uh, Pitt last week and a couple of the other games earlier in the season, but uh, they do not have an easy schedule coming up. They've got uh, West Virginia at home and can't at Kansas State in the um, uh, following um, following a bye week. So they've got um, you know they, they've got a, a week to sort of relish this win, but they're going to have a couple tough matchups going forward. But the um, the Big 12 now is it, it's really Oklahoma's to lose, and it's going to be you know it, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun here going down the stretch. Oklahoma, you know, and they, they struggled with. I think it's also TCU's to lose. I mean, TCU's already knocked off one of the top dogs. That's true. That's that's true. But you know that uh, TCU, the Horn Frogs, um, have to go to Oklahoma, which I think is going to be you know. You know, in Norman is always a very difficult place to win. But you know, you know, they just they can, won in Stillwater. That's true. They did just win in Stillwater, but they have you know, you know, most of their tough games for the rest of the year. They're at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma, at Kansas State. Um, you know, they, they get West Virginia at home, but they've got a lot of tough road games coming up. So uh, the Horn Frogs will definitely. Um, uh, you know, if if they end up going, you know, winning the Big Twelve, they will have definitely earned it. So, um, any, any any final thoughts here for you, Josh? I had one shout out that I wanted to do at the beginning of the show that was to Western, and I had one shout out I wanted to do at the end of the show, and that is Louisiana Monroe quarterback Caleb Evans, four hundred and seventy-two all-purpose yards, three forty-three through the air, and running the ball at sixteen carries that netted one hundred and twenty-nine yards. And five touchdowns. Well done, young man. Coach? Nice. My final thoughts are, what a great week of college football. What a great week we have coming up. Uh, the, the the Hilltoppers of Hillwood take on Glencliff. So that should be a step in the right direction for the toppers. 
Um, hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be written for you, coach. Um, my, my final thoughts. Um, one thing I just want to, uh, I want to shout out Josh Jackson again. We've talked about the quarterback, freshman quarterback from Virginia Tech has another great game against Old Dominion, 298 yards and three scores through the air. Um, he is, you know, he's a real deal. And this, this might, this might be the year of the freshman quarterback. I know we, you know, we, we've had, um, you know, a year of the running back, um, in year of the third phase before. I don't, I don't know what this year is going to be. It might be the year of the freshman quarterback between Fromm, Jackson, you know. Matt, got- when the, uh, do you know when the NBA season starts if he's allowed to keep being Virginia Tech's quarterback or? I, he might have to re- he might have to report to the Suns. I'm I, I really I don't know, man. Uh, it's going to be tough. You know, he's going to have to go from uh, from from guarding Clay Thompson uh, one night to um, you know throwing up you know throwing up big numbers against uh, you know Miami, Georgia Tech, and uh, the rest of the teams there in the ACC Coastal. So there's also cost of a Dawson's Creek back in the day. <laughs> Josh, I always thought you were more of a One Tree Hill guy. I'm making Josh Jackson jokes. I know, but you know, I, I always thought you liked One Tree Hill more than the, more than Dawson's Creek. Was Josh Jackson on One Tree Hill? No. No. Well, then it doesn't work as well for the riff. <laughs> well, uh, it's on, dead. It's done. the show. On that note, um, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. So on behalf of our offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, this is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. For listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.